Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the, the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. And so Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, the word of the Lord. Now, I want to be upfront in saying I usually don't go for this sort of thing. I'm an educated man, after all. I don't care much for these kinds of Hollywood-directed bread and circuses. I'm a cultured man, mostly. I mean, I've been to the opera, sitting in front of a Van Gogh at the museum or before the meditative and tranquil scene beside a river. I'm a book reader, an art lover. I know big words. I have tastes. I'm a lover of refinement and urbanity. As I say, I, I usually don't go in for this sort of thing, but here I am at the garage, having the car work done, sitting in the waiting room. Then I brought my iPad so I could work. 
And I'm going pretty good, too, making my magic keyboard sing. And then a mechanic walks into the waiting room and he turns on the television. It's local news. Fine, I think I can live with that. It's pretty easy to ignore. I mean, I brought my earbuds. And so I go back to writing some insanely important piece about stuff that I think is, well, insanely important. Writing, 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 humming right along. And I look up from the keyboard to see that apparently somebody's changed the channel. And now there's some daytime talk show on this TV with a host that I've never seen before. And I think, oh, great. Now we're going to have some kind of paternity smackdown or something, people shoving each other around to prove how much they love each other, or used to. So I, I watch for a minute. You know, I mean, just a little sort of clinical observation. Not because I'm interested. Definitely not because I'm interested. I, I think I mentioned that I usually don't go in for this sort of thing. Anyway, the host of this particular show is sitting in a bedroom talking to somebody, and I can't quite see who it is yet. The camera pans over to a boy sitting in a corner. And I say a boy, but the only way I can tell that he's not yet a man is his face. Because otherwise, this young man is big. I mean, I don't hear any numbers, but it's obvious that the thing that they want to focus on, unfortunately, <clears throat> is his weight. A thing about which our society, let's just be honest, focuses over much on already. And this disembodied voice provides narration over pictures of the boy and his growth over the years. And <clears throat> you cut to mom, she's got tears in her eyes, talking about raising two kids alone trying to keep a job. She bought them a lot of processed foods, meals that they could cook pretty easily while she was at work. She's obviously racked with guilt. And then all of a sudden, this boy's talking. And I think, well, I should probably listen to this. This pastoral voice pipes up in my head. So I pull my earbuds completely out, and I tune into the conversation on this 24-inch flat screen in the corner of the waiting room. This is purely professional interests, I reassure myself. And I hear the boy speak. And now I know he's a boy because his voice seems just to have changed. As I listen to the conversation, he finally drops his head and he says, I'm embarrassed. And they cut away to an interview with his sister who says that it's difficult because her brother is such a beautiful soul and he lives in torture. I cut back to the boy and he says he mostly just goes to school, sits by himself, eats lunch alone in a corner, hasn't really ever had any friends. And he just looks so forlorn, so so sad and lost that I feel tears forming in my own eyes. And a question pops into my head. Have you ever felt like you're so far outside the circle of inclusion that you wonder if there even is a circle of inclusion? 
And if there is such a circle, how sweeping would it have to be to embrace someone like you? But I, I feel horrible. And then in the midst of my sort of wallowing in the darkness and uncertainty of human self-rejection, I look up to see that the boy has a microphone in his hand and he's in front of an audience. He starts singing. And it's like an angel has come to inhabit this young boy's body. And all the pain that I feel for him this kid who sat alone for so long on the sidelines of life is immediately overshadowed by something more profoundly human and beautiful. And I realize that he's drawn me into a circle that's bigger than either one of us knows. A circle redrawn so that now he's in the center and I'm on the periphery and it feels glorious. Amazing grace. He sings, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Like an angel. He sings like an angel. And I, and I wonder briefly if it's maybe the same angel who told Philip to get up and go. And I wonder if Philip sees this circle differently after Jesus shows up on the scene himself. See, in our text for today, Peter and John have, have just returned from Jerusalem. And an angel of the Lord comes to Philip and tells him to pack his bags and head out on a road toward Gaza. Which, parenthetically, we're told, is a wilderness road. That is to say, this is not the road that you want to go walking on if you value your life. I mean, you remember what happened the last time Luke had someone walking down a wilderness road. The road, that one, led from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the man who walked it, Luke says, fell into the hands of bandits who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead before a good Samaritan finally wandered up to help. So the angel isn't telling Philip to put on his cargo shorts and his timberlands in order to see the sights and pick some daisies. He's, he's telling Philip to walk on the other side of the tracks where parents have told their kids not to go. And how does Philip respond to that? I mean, what, what, what does he do? The angel comes, doesn't even say, hey, how you doing? Out the wife and kids. Tells Philip to pack up his bags and go for a walk on the wrong side of town. And the text with this sort of eloquent understatement says, so he got up and went. But dude, I mean, don't you love that? There's no fussing, no arguing, no whining about how it's too dangerous and how he can't speak and how his in-laws are coming over for dinner and how he promised his wife he'd clean out the garage and his back's been hurting him, and he'd love to, but, I mean, this is really just a bad time for everybody. Oh, the angel of the Lord said, get up and go, and so he got up and went. And on the way, apparently, there, there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, let's try to understand that 
It's just what's going on here. I mean, Luke reports the, the encounter really sort of straightforwardly, but we must remember it wasn't every day that even when one was on business for God in the hinterlands, that one bumped into a eunuch from Ethiopia. First of all, uh, the fact that the man was a eunuch was odd enough. I mean, it meant that he was, by definition, a man who lived his life on so many ways outside, on the sidelines. But that he was from Ethiopia was just downright amazing. Why is that? Well, because Ethiopia was believed to be at the end of the earth, the land of Oz, Timbuktu. Luke's audience wouldn't have been able to conceive of a place more mysterious, farther away than Ethiopia. In, in Homer's Odyssey, he wrote about those exotic Ethiopians from the other side of the world. But all of a sudden, out in the middle of nowhere, Philip runs into a eunuch from Ethiopia. But that's really something, right? I mean, that's, just, that's like running into a NASCAR driver from New Zealand. I mean, what are the chances that that's going to happen? Well, that, of course, is exactly what we're supposed to ask. How could that be a coincidence? Well, the point Perhaps you wonder. The point is that God tells Philip to go. Philip goes, and the gospel is brought to an Ethiopian eunuch, and the circle widens to the ends of the earth. Now, why does it happen? Because Philip heard the angel, and he went. And because he went, the circle of Jesus' love and embrace gets redrawn a little bit wider. I was thinking about all this, the, the, the boy on the talk show and Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. As I watched the news the other night, Attorney General announced an investigation into the practices of the LMPD, looking for a pattern of institutional racism. State governments are all over the country are busy conjuring up legislation that will further marginalized transgender youth and voting rights. And, 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 and as a country, we're still looking for the parents of immigrant children who've been held in detention facilities that look just too much like jails for my comfort. But a lot of people have been living outside the circle of inclusion. And the thing about it is people just want a chance at the same life that everybody else has. They want their love to be recognized by society. They want their marriages to be just as acceptable as everybody else's. They've been told over and over again by an often disapproving society and a more disapproving church that somehow they're broken, that this circle of welcome is not quite big enough to welcome them. And the circle closes ranks to keep them out. Another black man dies another horrible, after another horrible encounter with the police and the people afraid for the lives of their children who've heard this infuriating story so many times before, who've, who've lived some version of it themselves, scream in their anguish in the night 
hoping, I guess, that those in power will finally hear their cry and make the changes necessary to ensure that justice finally orders our common life. And I got to wondering, I mean, how, how is it that the same children that God created and loves get to be no longer a part of us, but somehow have been cast into a new category of them? I mean, why do we allow people to get pushed so far out of the circle of inclusion that they come to believe maybe the walls will never come down for them? Now, far, far be it for me to speak for humanity, but I suspect it's much more complicated than the fact that redrawing the circle to allow more people in is difficult. But it is. But it's not just that we're comfortable with the way things, the way they are, with us being on the inside and them being on the outside, but we've somehow come to believe that the circle, as we've currently come to understand it, is exactly the size that God wants it. And the people who are inside are the people that God wants on the inside. And that by inference, then, the people on the outside are there because that's where God wants them. When did that happen? When did that happen to us, to our minds? But that's the really unsettling part of the gospel that shows up in our story today. Whenever the angel speaks and we listen, whenever Jesus is turned loose on the wilderness road, the wilderness road of those who have been pushed aside for too long, the circle about which everyone has for so long been assured is as wide as it gets, gets a little bit wider. And while there are folks who are hearing these words who've lived for so long outside the circle and who, like the Ethiopian eunuch, hear this story as liberating, there are also, I think we have to be honest about the fact, a number of Philips, those folks who've already lived for so long within the safety of the circle, who seem constantly to be standing around with puzzled looks saying, seriously, I mean, you mean them too? Don't you think that the circle is wide enough already? And Jesus always seems to respond, no, not yet. The circle's not wide enough until everyone who wants in gets in. The circle of the beloved community isn't wide enough until the poor and the powerless get to sit at the same table with the rich and the powerful. It isn't wide enough until we love those who love differently from us the same. It isn't wide enough until black people can take justice for granted. It isn't wide enough until we hear the cries of anger and frustration from ICE detention facilities as cries to be let into a circle that for so many years has rigged the system to keep them out. It isn't wide enough until that corner of the lunchroom where they sit has been moved to the center and the kids who've never had a voice before now get to sing like angels. 
Because here's the thing. The difficult thing for so many of us to hear from this story of Philip is that the circle of love isn't our circle. It's God's. And it will never be wide enough until God gets everyone God wants. And here's the key. God wants all of us. So when we hear the angel's voice, we better get up and go. Because Jesus is getting ready to widen the circle and mess up our worlds again. In my mind, I hear that boy who's been sitting on the outside, but who sings like an angel, and I think, that's the good news. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.